0: Rodney preached first on the final glory and triumph of God's kingdom, because we're going to be looking now at the enemies, at least uh, some of the enemies that are going to be defeated. And so if you turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 28, we will read uh, verses 3 through 14. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes. And he went, and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, Please conduct a séance for me, and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Then the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Father God, we thank You for this, Your Word, and it is our desire to uh, live in terms of Your Word. We pray that You would guide us, that You would uh, cause Your grace to rest upon us, and Father, that we would uh, continue to worship You faithfully as we respond to Your Word. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, I want to begin by reading a story that you might have a hard time believing, But this story could be multiplied hundreds of times over by very reliable sources who have checked and rechecked uh, these things. And as I describe this, uh, I want you to realize not all mediums uh, act in exactly this way, but they all have some kind of supernatural phenomenon that are connected with them uh, as they deal with uh, the demonic. And this particular example took place in Tibet in 1993. Stephen Hishie said, Moments after our arrival, this medium became possessed by various spirits, including house gods, that were being invoked by the Lama. As the demons settled into his body, we watched in amazement as he plucked a live coal out of the fire and placed it into his mouth. There was a sickening hissing sound as the red hot ember came in contact with the moist tissue. As he chewed on the live coal, the monk suddenly levitated six feet into the air. Still seated in a cross-legged posture, he began to fly in a circular pattern just over the heads of the crowd. As he moved about the room, the people bowed in awe, crying, God, God, God. This lasted for about two minutes before my wife and I, unable to tolerate this perversion any longer, began to invoke the name of Jesus the oracle dropped to the floor. After a few moments, the lama asked the medium to explain his sudden and unflattering reintroduction to the law of gravity. As he surveyed the room, the monk's gaze came to rest on my wife and me standing near the doorway. Pointing a finger in our direction, he exclaimed, these are the people. It was clear to me that this knowledge had been given him by a supernatural power. At this point, the lama came over and stood directly in front of us. With his hands clasped together, he bowed politely. This was not an act of reverence, mind you, but a gesture beseeching us to go away. And we did. Now, Westerners have a hard time believing uh, that kind of story. And I will admit that there have been uh, magicians and scientists who have very carefully studied some of the phenomena in the occult and have been able to demonstrate that some of it, at least, is a hoax. Uh, Some of the people have used magicians' tricks and illusions and sleight of hand and ventriloquism and other things to try to give the illusion that something supernatural is going on when really uh, it is just a bunk but there have been many other examples that these scientists have studied and restudied and just puzzled over and have not been able to explain away it's clear that some power is there these people don't believe in the supernatural they just think well we've tapped into some kind of a power and so a whole new branch of science has sprung up since the early 1900s called the paranormal science And they are trying to use scientific principles to study what in the world is going on here so that we can control it. And some of these scientists have actually become demonized. It's really scary uh, stuff when you dive into it. And I'm here to tell you this morning that the occult is real, that it is dangerous. And the most dangerous thing about the occult is people who say that it's all fake, that there's really nothing uh, to it. It is precisely because the demonic is so real that it has captured the minds of so many Americans uh, in my generation, and it's in record numbers. Children are uh, being introduced to some of these occult techniques in kindergarten already. And we're not talking about relaxation techniques. We're talking about uh, them inviting spirit guides into their lives. And some of these children, as they get a taste of the supernatural, they keep coming back for more and more until they're in such bondage, they cannot get out of it. And uh, pastors are having to deal with the demonic uh, in children. I've had to... Uh, help people who have been demonized from one visit to a palm reader or because they've been playing around with a a Ouija board and all of a sudden freaky things uh, start happening in their lives. Let me try to give you a little bit of a picture of how pervasive this has become in America. Even in government, uh, you will find the occult. From the time of Abraham Lincoln to the present, there have been a number of presidents who have dabbled in the occult actually interestingly when you when you think about it it's uh, many times their wives i'm not sure why that's the case but with abraham lincoln it was his wife who insisted that they go to these séances to try to communicate with the spirit of their uh, of their dead son and uh, you've got the wife of uh, ronald reagan you've got the, the wife of uh, president clinton uh, you've got a picture there in your in your outline of Um, the um, uh, uh, New Age guru, Gene Houston, who presided over guided visualization uh, sessions in the White House. And I've got another picture there that happened shortly after uh, he became a president where an Indian shaman is blessing um, uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, blessing him with the spirits, you know. And so there is a lot of demonic that's uh, been going on, even in presidential Levels, and because of the influence of those kind of famous people and music and the arts and uh, media, and even because of uh, uh, of um, uh, business some of the business tex- techniques that are going on in some corporations, uh, there are millions of Americans who have been introduced to the occult in my generation, in fact, um, a couple of authors. Actually, there's several authors, uh, but there have been some studies that have been done, and they've estimated that more than 50 million Americans are actively involved in the occult. All you have to do is look at uh, the stores here in Omaha and the occult shelves. Unbelievable. They must be selling a lot of occult books. You look at the number of stores that are devoted to the occult in America, and you can see there's something serious going on. And uh, we have a problem that has to be dealt with. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is that people get hooked into the occult not through any overt dealing with the occult, not at all. It usually starts much more innocently. And this is the way it was with Saul. His walk with the dark side started all the way back in chapter 15 and probably even earlier, but at least by chapter 15. It's hinted at in verse 3 of our passage here. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city, and Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Uh, We saw last week that Saul got rid of all of the occult early in his reign while he was still a good king, and that means he was not introduced to the demonic by visiting the occult. Okay, that was already out of the land. Uh, I want you to turn with me to First Samuel chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 22 through 23. So Samuel said, "'Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams.' For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Now, commentators point out that the word as is in italics there. It's not in the Hebrew. The Hebrew literally says rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry. It is at the very heart and core of what the occult is all about. You cannot separate the two. Now, the word for witchcraft there, that's a very bad translation. Uh, The word for witchcraft is a general word for the occult. Uh, It's the same word that's used in our chapter, chapter 28, when Saul asked the witch and she's not really a witch, she's a medium, but King James calls her a witch, asked the medium to do a seance. That's the word there, seance, or the ESV says divine a spirit, and other translations, could you engage in the occult? It's just a general term for the occult. So 1 Samuel fifteen twenty three says that Saul's first step into the world of the occult was to engage in rebellion and stubbornness. Now, numerous experts on this subject have said that this is almost always the first downward step into the occult. It's a deliberate violation of God's word and stubbornly refusing to repent. That's what gave Satan legal ground in Saul's life. In fact, if you read the occult literature, which, by the way, I do not recommend that you do, uh, it's really dangerous to get into that. I've had friends who began uh, really being demonized because they were too curious. They were studying it and studying it and getting more and more uh, into that. So I don't recommend that you do. But if you read that, as I have, unfortunately, uh, you, do, you see that they give techniques, various forms of rebellion that they engage in. Uh, one of the works said, the more you rebel, the more power that you get from uh, from the spirits. And so... That's what the occult is about. It's trying to gain power, at least gain information that will give them more power. But that verse in 1 Samuel 15 should warn us that we cannot ignore rebellion and stubbornness in our children. It needs to be put under the blood of Christ. It needs to be dealt with. Otherwise, you're going to open your children up to the occult. I mean, at least to satanic influence. Uh, Or it may be an evidence that uh, the demons are already at work. Now, if you flip forward just one chapter to chapter 16 you will see step two so step one it's a deliberate rebellion against God he says that's as uh, that not just as that is at the core of the occult in uh, step two you'll see that because Saul did not repent of his rebellion and stubbornness he grieved the Spirit of God so he doesn't have the Spirit's protection And what happens is it gave legal ground for a demonic spirit to regularly demonize him. Look at verse 14, chapter 16, verse 14. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit. And when we preached on this before, we saw that literally it's an evil spirit. So it's a demon, an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. God allowed this demon to afflict Saul as an act of his loving discipline. And if Saul had repented, if he had dealt with his sins, he would have had the power to be able to oppose this uh, this demon successfully. But because of his rebellion, he had no power, no power whatsoever. And interestingly, his fear of losing political power made him cling on to that, guaranteed that he would lose spiritual power. And so there's true power, there's counterfeit power. Repentance and faith are the only thing that enables you to keep walking in the Spirit as David did. David realized this when Satan tempted him to number Israel. Uh, David realized this in the Bathsheba event, you know, after the Spirit kind of departed from him and the spirit departs from us not in terms of salvation but in terms of his power in order to draw us to himself but when the spirit departed from 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 david he's starting this downward cycle now what broke that it was simply his repentance of his sin and his faith in jesus christ it's so simple it's so simple, and yet it's so hard for our flesh to do. Our hearts don't want to relinquish the very thing that keeps us in bondage. And part of what it made it so hard for Saul to even recognize what was happening in his life uh, was that this demon appears to have been what experts call a religious demon, or a religious spirit. There are some demons that are so dark that... They don't want you getting anywhere near to a church or a Bible. In fact, you start feeling sick if you come near a, 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 a church or a pastor who's bringing the word of God. These religious de- demons, they don't care whatsoever. Yeah, they're, they, they go to churches. They don't uh, mind that. And I want you to take a look at point C in your outline. Point C lists some examples of how this demon did not always manifest itself as being so evil. Many spiritists, many American mediums give every illusion of being Christians. They pray to God. They um, bless people in the name of the Lord. Just like Saul did here, they're, they're not self-conscious uh, uh, you know, Satan worshipers. Here is Saul in these verses worshiping God, blessing people in the name of the Lord. He's very religious. And there is no reason why a person afflicted by this kind of a demon could not be present in the congregation uh, right now Um, religious demons have no problem being around worshipers using god's name looking spiritual so long as people don't start poking their finger you know at the rebellion and at the stubbornness in their lives that's going to be something that will definitely upset them but in chapter 23 verse uh, 7 The demon was moving Saul to kill David, and right in the very act of trying to move him to murder David, here's what Saul is saying in his mind. God has delivered him into my hand. Isn't that interesting? the, The narrator tells us that Saul is so deceived by this demon, he actually thinks God is blessing him. He thinks God's at work in his life, that God is the one who's delivered him. Why in the world would he think that when he is opposed to God? It's the nature of the way a religious spirit works. Now look at the religious hypocrisy of Saul in 1 Samuel 28 and um, verses 6 and 10. Verse 6 says, When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets this demon who was driving saul did not seem to have any problem with saul praying seeking guidance through the urim or through prophets uh, there was no threat for the demon and actually it's a blessing that that god did not allow this demon to deceive saul into thinking that he had some guidance from the lord because the harsh a reality of what he was facing may have opened Saul up to repentance before he died. And we'll maybe look at that in a future Sunday. God can always bring his uh, children to repentance. And there's debate as to whether he was regenerate or not. We'll look at that later. But take a look at verse 10. And Saul swore to her by the Lord, that's all capital letters, uh, Yahweh. Saul swore to her by Yahweh, saying, as the Lord, as Yahweh lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing now wasn't that odd he swears by yahweh and uh you know says he's not going to hurt her while he is asking her to do a seance which is utter rebellion against yahweh and yet she buys into it Uh, you know it seems so incongruous to us but it didn't seem incongruous whatsoever to the two of them but this is so typical of the deception of religious spirits down through american history most mediums have claimed to believe in god in fact a lot of times they'll say why don't we pray and ask god's blessing on this seance i'm not kidding Uh, they pray to jesus they're very very religious in fact these demons will drive them to being very religious but uh that's with seances that's not the only kind of religious demon and i thought while we're dealing with religious demons why don't i go ahead and list for you some of the kind of religious spirits that are at work within the church of Jesus Christ. There's first of all the person who has the counterfeit gift of discernment. He is constantly sensing other people's sins and other people's errors and manipulating the people to go in a given direction. You know, he might say, you know, I've sensed that uh, the Lord really wants you to be doing such and such. Always be nervous about people who seem to always know God's will for your life. You know, it is probably a religious spirit who is giving uh, this kind of uh, guidance to them. Um, Now, I believe in personal guidance, and I should make that clear, but I don't believe that God has given to individuals the guidance to direct everybody else's lives. He doesn't say to the church, I think the church needs to be doing such and such today. That would be normative. Okay, And the only normative revelation God has given now that the canon is closed is the Scripture of God. Uh, And so if somebody tells you, well, I believe that God has um, revealed to me that you're to be my wife and you will be out of the will of God if you don't marry me, I think an appropriate response would be to say, well, I'll take that under advisement, you know, and if you meet the biblical criteria and my dad approves, and uh, you better talk to my dad first, and, uh, and God gives guidance to us, then I'll get back to you. Okay. But um, people with this false spirit of discernment might dream about wrongs, perhaps sexual sins that another person has, uh, has done, and it poisons them toward that person. This is a spirit that is masquerading as the Holy Spirit's giving guidance, but in reality, it doesn't build up like the Holy Spirit does. It tears down. It divides, it brings all kinds of negative attitudes toward other people. And yet the whole time that it is doing this, it's quite comfortable working within the church. And people like Derek uh, Prince, uh, who have sought to cast out such religious spirits, have found them incredibly resistant, much more resistant than some of the other dark spirits that are out there. They're very difficult to deal with. So the first kind of religious spirit is a counterfeit gift of discernment. Then there is the spirit of Jezebel that manifests itself through manipulation and through control. Uh, When you see in a church caucuses, you know, groups of people who are meeting together simply to complain about problems in the church, uh, there's likely a spirit of Jezebel that is at work. Now, experts have found that uh, deeply wounded people are especially susceptible to this kind of uh, spiritual manifestation, Uh, This spirit will often undermine the ministry of the word, undermine leadership, gossip and pray about church problems that are out there. And it makes them bitter many, many times. And experts in the occult have said that the church in America in the last 50 years has just become pervasively plagued with this kind of a spirit. He said it's everywhere. This is the reason for so many church splits. And it could be splits over anything. Some of the things that churches split over are unbelievably irrational, they don't make any sense unless you realize that there are religious spirits that are at work. Okay, then there is the spirit of self-righteousness. And many times these religious spirits, they'll spar back and forth. And so it may not be verbal, it may be in their heads. And so you'll get a, a spirit that's undermining somebody... And then there's going to be another religious spirit in that person who's going to respond with self-righteousness and will come as an attack against that other person. They're so clever in the way in which they cause people uh, to fight and to divide. One manifestation of this spirit is to give a pastor, or actually it can be anybody else as well, but to give a pastor a martyr complex. I have looked on in absolute amazement at a pastor that i know who deliberately does things all the time he just deliberately tries to make people mad (laughs) make people mad at him he sabotages his own ministry it's like he's not comfortable with himself unless somebody's upset with him over something it's amazing his ministry is completely surrounded uh, with controversy and every year he's got to drive somebody out of the church he doesn't feel good unless he's being persecuted Okay, he's got a martyr complex type of an idea. And there are so many religious spirits, and here's the point. Every one of them feels perfectly comfortable within the church. Like Saul, people who are influenced by these spirits can think, hey, I'm serving God. I'm a good Christian. I'm serving God. In fact, point D shows that Deuteronomy 18 connects all of the various forms of the occult with False prophecy within the church. And the false prophets definitely have a religious spirit because they're convinced that they are serving God. In fact, Matthew 7 indicates that on the day of judgment, there are going to be people who have had these false uh, spirits within them who are going to say, Lord, how come you're opposed to us? We've been serving you. Haven't we done miracles? Haven't we prophesied in your name? And then Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Now, we've already mentioned that these religious spirits are not just at work with unbelievers. They're at work with believers as well, genuinely regenerate people. And we do need to be uh, aware of that. So how do you test if you're being plagued by a religious spirit like Saul was? I have a much longer handout with detailed diagnostics and prayers. In fact, just yesterday, was it yesterday, day before yesterday, I downloaded uh, something from an author that I thought was uh, very, very helpful But for now, let me just read 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, which gives 19 telltale signs of this spirit. Now, no one of them is indicative. Our flesh can produce these things as well. But when you've got a grouping of these things working together, you need to begin to be suspicious and say, Lord, is there uh, just my flesh or is uh, is there a demonic presence that I need to be warring against as well? Now Paul here, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, he's describing people within the church who are professing believers during the last days of the Old Covenant. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then here comes the summary description of this religious spirit Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Now Saul, it could be described by that. Saul had a form of godliness, even though he had all of these other things. He went to all of the different festivals, all of the new moon feasts. And remember, he was critical of David for not showing up on this. What is the matter with David? But he gave every appearance of being a Christian. Now, I am open, at least open, to the idea that Saul may have indeed been regenerate. And people say, with all the bad things that he did, yes, Uh, even with all the bad things. I don't know if we can ever know whether Saul truly was a a, a genuine believer or not, but um, a few weeks ago when we started this series, uh, I gave some of the arguments pro and con on this, and I gave a number of arguments that showed that he was regenerate, including a statement in chapter 10, verse 9, where God himself says that he gave Saul a new heart. That looks like regeneration. And even in this passage here, uh, Samuel is saying, hey, Saul, you and your children are going to be with me. Jonathan is saved, at least. You and your children will be with me in Sheol. Now, he didn't say whether it's going to be lower Sheol, where there's burning fire, or upper Sheol, where there's paradise. But he's saying they're going to be with him. So there are at least some indicators that he could have been regenerate. But whether that's the case or not we've already seen that these demons can in, uh, affect uh, even uh, uh believers professing believers so if you find yourself in any one of the steps of this first point what i would urge you to do is confess them to the lord and say lord i don't want any legal ground and out loud rebuke the devil and say i take away this legal ground i put it under the blood of the lord jesus christ and uh, it does need to be out loud because uh, it doesn't seem... Silent resistance, I've never had success against demons with uh, silent resistance in my head. It's only when I've said it out loud. But anyway, Satan's not a mess, an enemy that we want to mess around with. And that brings us up to Roman numeral 2. How serious is dabbling in the occult? Some Christians don't take it seriously at all. Now, you find them reading their horoscope... Uh, in the newspaper every day. Uh, you see them having no problem when they go to a fair getting their fortune read. And in other ways, they're dabbling in the occult. Just out of curiosity, uh, they are doing this. At a church that I went to when I was a teenager, uh, we had a young people's group, and one of the guys in there had been doing some reading in the paranormal, and he thought this was really cool stuff. And so he was sharing with some of the people in the in the young people's group how we can tap into hidden powers that we had, and so for example one of the things that he did is he said okay one of one of you will put your hands over top of another person's head and you press down till your arms ache you just press down on the head real real hard while you're doing these incantations and they're doing the incantations i didn't want to have anything to do with this but and then after a while then you put your fingers under his armpits and whew, You lifted him up and they said, wow, I didn't know I was so strong. I mean, all of this hidden power that's within me was just so easy. It was effortless until one of them withdrew his fingers from under the armpits and that guy was still floating up in the air. And all of a sudden, everybody freaked out. They realized this is demonic. This is the occult. And that was in a Bible-believing, fundamentalist church. The elders had no idea that was going on. The kids were monkeying around with this stuff. And that's why I'm saying we've got to take this seriously. You cannot just assume that uh, your children uh, have not given legal ground to the Lord. Now, let me try to define what occult is a little bit more broadly. I'm defining occult, and I believe the general word that was given there covers everything from Satan worship, which is the most extreme forum, down to reading horoscopes. Uh, it would include seances, necromancy, any attempts to, at communicating with the dead. It would include ESP, PSI, which actually is pronounced Psy. Uh, all forms of supernatural psychic experimentation. It would include real magic, and I am say real magic as opposed to sleight of hand magic. It would include fortune telling, wearing charms, carrying a lucky rabbit's foot, using a Ouija board, astrology, casting spells on people, buying love potions. All of that... Is the occult and here's the question how seriously should we take all of that well first Samuel 28 verse 3 says that under Samuel's godly influence all occult uh, practitioners were either kicked out of the land of Israel or were put to death the Hebrew is a little bit ambiguous there but uh, they were not allowed to remain in Israel I want you to take a look at the complaint of the woman in verse 9 Then the woman said to him, look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? I mean, she certainly felt that she was in danger of being killed. So either they were all killed or more likely they were all kicked out of the land and threatened with the death penalty if they came back into the land. And, and, and practice this. And this is totally consistent with God's law and it's consistent with the flexibility that you see on penology within God's law. Let me read you some of the scriptures that are in your outline. Exodus twenty-two eighteen, You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Now I'd say that's taking sorcery pretty seriously, right? Leviticus 20, six through 7. And the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. A man or a woman who is a medium or his familiar spirits shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 14. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire or who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer or one who conjures spells or a medium or a spiritist or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you you shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you will dispossess listened to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. Now one standard by which you can measure the seriousness of any sin is by looking in the Bible to see if there was any death penalty associated with it. You children who want to curse your parents and hopefully that's not true of any of you, or want to strike your parents, read Matthew 15 sometime and see what Jesus said about that. He took it unbelievably seriously. And again, as we've seen, and we'll look a little bit more, it's connected with the occult. And, of course, we're talking about the state doing this after a fair trial and after the parents have brought, you know. So there's, there's so many checks and balances in God's law, and it's a maximum penalty. And as soon as there's forgiveness, you know, there can be a lesser penalty. So there's all kinds of caveats. But the Scripture is clear that with the occult there, These spiritists deserve the death penalty. I think we have to at least say that. They deserve it. Whether they get it or not, they deserve it. He calls it an abomination. So I would say, first of all, that God's law treats the occult very, very seriously, and we should too. It is extremely dangerous. And I won't go into it, but I've given some scriptures in your outline that show that kings were judged as being either good kings or bad kings by whether or not they uh, kicked these uh, occultists out of the land of israel which is very interesting to me because this means it was a federal crime not just a state or a county or a city crime this was on a federal level which makes this even more serious because most crimes were much more libertarian they were only uh, crimes on the city level but here it's very clear it was on the national level showing its seriousness and then first chronicles ten thirteen sums up why god destroyed saul in the battle in the next chapter he sums it up with two things let me read that verse so saul died for his unfaithfulness which he had committed against the lord because he did not keep the word of the lord and also because he consulted a medium for guidance that pretty much sums up his life right his rebellion his going to a medium Now the last danger that i list in your outlines is that people are actually defiled they are defiled when they go to such people even if they're just going out of curiosity Uh, leviticus 19 verse 31 says give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits you're not even supposed to listen to them don't pay any attention to them he says do not seek after them to be defiled by them I am the Lord your God now if you took that literally that means you shouldn't even pay attention to or read the horoscope in the newspaper he says that's how seriously you need to take it I could give you many stories of friends who began to be demonized after they started meddling just a little bit just out of curiosity doing research and more research than they needed. And I could give you hundreds of stories from books that have been well-documented of people who began to be demonized after they had fooled around for one time with a, an occult game or a symbol or went to an occult meeting, okay? Very serious. Now... Let me give you a, a heads up. We're going to end with this. But in 1 John, it says that everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And it goes on to say in the, the, the very last chapter there that, that everyone who guards himself, the wicked one cannot touch him. You are invincible if you're guarding of yourself. If you're abiding in Christ, you're confessing your sin, you're walking close to his spirit he can't touch you he cannot do a thing to you even the youngest of you have power over Satan and you don't need to be afraid of what we're talking about here so I just want to give you a heads-up on that but I'm going to finish up this section by answering the question and I'm sure a lot of you are puzzling over this was this woman a fake okay what was going on in this chapter did Samuel really appear or was this just an illusion was this maybe a a demon impersonating uh, uh, Samuel And I have had mature Christians who have just gotten very angry and they have just absolutely insisted that this could not be Samuel. It could not. It's just so inconsistent with the rest of Scripture. And they have said this had to have been an illusion or it had to have been a demon who was impersonating Samuel. And yet the narrator says clearly it was Samuel all the way through this passage. Verse 15 doesn't say Saul thought Samuel was talking to him. It says, by inspiration, now Samuel said to Saul. And so this has been very confusing to people. Uh, in fact, there are people who seance, uh, do seances. They've actually gone to this chapter and uh, they've tried to justify seances. They say, oh, Saul was just being a meanie in his early years when he was kicking people out of the land of Israel. See, God's correcting se- Saul here. Uh, Saul uh, was doing the right thing. God is basically justifying the use of seances. See, God brought up Samuel as a result of her work. And then there are others on the other side. They say, ah, it's just all illusion. There's nothing going on whatsoever. And the truth is somewhere in between there. So the first thing that's important to understand is that there are people who involve themselves in so-called occult activities who aren't using demonic power at all they're just very very clever guessers who give information to the client who yeah just the information seems remarkable but it's really not let me give you an illustration Uh, when i was in college uh, my psychology professor and the whole psychology department what a waste but anyway i had to take it but this was kind of interesting Uh, He gave us a test that was designed to examine our personality and the kinds of things that go on inside of us. And so we took the test, handed it in. The next week, he gave us the results of this. And uh, I'm a very speedy reader, so I'm looking around the room after I've read mine, and you could see the visible shock. On people's faces as they're reading down through the paper because it looks like this professor has seen into the deep dark secrets of their hearts and all of the shameful things that they have done there was a couple of people they were bright red they were blushing reading the professor knows this about me (laughs) you could tell they just felt terribly embarrassed so after everybody's read and and this is settled in the professor said by the way everybody got the same sheet of paper and uh, i hadn't done any analysis whatsoever uh, what's going on here is this is the kind of information that's common to all humans or most humans and this is what shiksters use you know when they're trying to convince you and wow you you know with the discoveries and the and the uh, you know the the cool revelations uh, that they have gotten And he was saying these are things that are just common to human nature so i'll be the first to admit that a lot of what happens in occult circles is not supernatural at all though of course those people they're playing with fire they are opening themselves up to satan getting legal ground into their lives and beginning to work in 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 their lives as well some people use magician tricks some people use ventriloquism to make it sound like a voice is coming from across the room uh, or they'll use sleight of hand, uh, uh, maybe illusions to make it look like a spirit is, is appearing. There's lots of books out there that have debunked them. I've got a couple of fabulous books that have debunked a lot of this stuff on my shelf. Uh, and so here is my point on bringing this up. Don't believe every story of occult happening. You're going to look foolish if you do, because a lot of that stuff has been debunked. But having admitted that, the fact of the matter is you cannot read through all of the passages on the occult in the Bible without realizing there really are demons at work. And you cannot even read the literature that's out there describing the occult without realizing that. And by the way, God would have banished even people who pretended to be occultists. They would have been banished. Anybody who's remotely dealing with that because of how dangerous that is to an entire nation. And Scripture would portray mediums as normally being people who are possessed by familiar spirits. And let me give you some examples. These are demons who impersonate the dead. Leviticus 20, verse 27, speaks of a medium, quote, who has familiar spirits, unquote. Not who claims to have, but who has familiar spirits. Acts 16, 26 Luke says, a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us. She really was possessed. And you can look at many other scriptures and you can see that the occult is real. Um, It is is real demons who are really dangerous. And I want to quickly show how even though mediums like this woman at Endor, uh, even though they do dabble with the supernatural, with uh, demons, that they cannot raise dead spirits, okay? Okay they cannot uh, do what happened here what happened here was a supernatural miracle uh, that god performed it was not something she did not at all take a look at verses 11 through 12. then the woman said whom shall i bring up for you and he said bring up samuel for me when the woman saw samuel she cried out with a loud voice and the woman spoke to saul saying why have you deceived me for you are saul So, it's obvious, Saul thinks she can bring up a spirit of a dead person. She claims to have the power to bring up a dead person. That aside, commentators have said we can deduce three things from this passage. First, Samuel appeared before she had any time to go through her normal occult rituals. And this is extremely significant. A medium will always go through a ritual in which she asks the demons to possess her, and that takes a while. There's always a ritual that they go through. Usually she becomes unconscious, and then the demon speaks through her or speaks in connection with her in some way. Now, she's not unconscious in this, in this chapter, so I think that's significant as well. But there are various ways that demons can speak through the woman or speak outside the woman. Isaiah eight nineteen speaks of mediums who chirp and mutter by demonic power. Uh, sometimes the muttering comes from their th- throats. Sometimes an odd voice will come out of their stomachs or even up from the ground. For example, Isaiah 29, verse 4 says, You shall be brought down, you shall speak out of the ground, your speech shall be low out of the dust, your voice shall be like a medium's out of the ground and your vo- speech shall whisper out of the dust and sometimes it is freaky there will be a deep male voice coming out of the woman's out of the woman's body uh, or it, sometimes it'll come right behind a client's head or in front of him or come out of the ground sometimes a pen will lift up from the gra- uh, from the table and start writing a message with no hand attached to it sometimes there'll be a light or some kind of a form um, maybe even that looks like a person uh, that will appear uh, in, in, in in the room. And sometimes that object, that uh, manifestation will speak or it'll pick up the pen and write. Uh, there's a number of different ways that it happened. And my point in bringing all of this up is that there is always a ritual that a medium will go through in order to supposedly summon the demon. Well, supposedly summon the, the dead, but they're really su- summoning a demon who impersonates the dead. It's the medium inviting the person up. Okay, that's the key. But in this passage, Samuel appeared before she could do anything in her ritual. That's the first clue that it was not her who brought Samuel up. It was God who answered Saul's wish to speak to Samuel. In fact, Samuel himself in the later verses here, um, let's see, um, yeah, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up in verse uh, 15? So Samuel credits Saul with bringing him up, not the, the medium. Usually the medium gets the credit. And so what's probably happened is God has communicated to Samuel, I'm going to do a miracle. Saul wants to speak to your spirit. I've got a message that I want you to, to give to him. And uh, uh, when he comes up, he does not, Samuel does not talk to the medium. He doesn't give her the time of day. He, he just completely ignores her and he directly talks to to Saul. So that's the first clue. Second, she screamed in fright. Isn't that the demon that she's used to dealing with? This was something totally unexpected and something that she did not do. As one commentator said, something happened outside her control. The Geneva Study Bible says, it is clear from the medium's reaction that she could not compel Samuel to appear. And so her scream is a second clue. that This is not the normal work uh, of a medium, but it was, ac- it was God actually circumventing her work. That's so key. He's circumventing her work. This means that God does not condone what the medium is doing. He's not answering the medium. In fact, he's ignoring her. God was doing something unusual, and it was something that totally surprised her. Third, her response to Saul seems to indicate that the appearance of Samuel coincided, and the Hebrew I think is quite clear on this, coincided with Saul's request to bring up Samuel, and that coincidence made her immediately realize she's dealing with King Saul. So they all happen at the same time. Now, Saul promised her that she wouldn't get in trouble, urged her to continue. He says, What do you see? And she responded, I see a spirit ascending out of the earth. Now, at first, Saul couldn't see Samuel. Perhaps it's because he was further away from that pit. Usually the mediums dug a huge pit, and I think you can sort of see a pit in the picture uh, that artists have conveyed, but mediums usually dug this huge, deep pit. It could be she's closer to the pit. She can see him starting to come up uh, from way down deep, and he's at an angle where he can't uh, see Samuel. But in verses 15 and following, Uh, It does seem as if Saul sees him many commentators believe he sees him But at a very minimum he actually hears With his own ears not through the medium. He hears samuel talking uh, to him They're talking uh, back and forth and so samuel completely bypassed the medium on every level Okay with all of that i've dealt with the one error right Of uh of people who say yeah, this thing justifies seances now let's deal with the other error that says this wasn't Samuel. Commentators point out that Samuel is indeed talking to Saul. And I, I, I don't think we can miss that. Second part of verse 14. Per- and Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. He perceived correctly that it was Samuel. And then the narrator goes on to say in the following verses, this is not an illusion. It actually was Samuel who came up. One commentator said, It should be noted that Samuel's coming up from the underworld is presented as an actual event, not a dream or a vision. And Lord willing, maybe next week we'll get into more detail of why it is that Samuel came up instead of down. Why did he come up from Sheol instead of coming down uh, from heaven? Now, I've given, this point number five, I've given a number of scriptures that prove that uh, people cannot travel in and out of Sheol. Uh, Ezekiel 26 says that even if people seek to make contact with the dead, that would be mediums, he says, quote, they can never be found again. This means apart from a miracle that God produces, mediums never, never deal with the souls of dead people. All they're dealing with is demons who impersonate people. Okay, does that make sense? Let me just explain something here where the Old Testament Hebrew, and maybe we'll get into this more next week, where the Old Testament Hebrew uses the word Sheol to describe the place of the dead down in the heart of the earth. The New Testament uses the word Hades to describe the same place. So you got Hebrew word Sheol, Greek word uh, Hades. Lower Sheol, Lower Hades was a place of fire and burning and torment where people go. It's hell, okay? Upper Sheol was the place called paradise. That's where believers went to. And You know at that point people didn't go to heaven Heaven had not yet been prepared for people And that's why I'm getting ahead of myself in the next week's sermon, but John Is it 14 15 says I, I think it's 14. I go to prepare a place for you It had not yet been prepared and so what happened is Jesus when he came up the New Testament uses the word Hades it says his soul came up from Hades And when his soul came out of Hades, he took all of those Old Testament saints and he took them to heaven. So that's a very brief introduction to, I don't even know if I'm going to deal with it next week. We'll see. But that's uh, probably a, a brief version of what we'll look at. But this place called Sheol or Hades has gates on it, has bars on it. Revelation says anyone who's in Hades can't escape, cannot get out of it unless God lets them out. And for that matter, nobody can travel from upper Hades to lower Hades and get back again. Or, you know, they can't travel out of their, out of their spaces. In fact, let's just go ahead. Turn with me to Luke 16. <laughs> Turn with me to Luke 16. We'll, we'll go ahead and, and take a sneak peek. I'll look at this. Uh, yeah, we'll start reading at verse 23. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So the rich man is in Hades. He's in lower Hades and and he's looking up. So Lazarus is in upper Hades. He's in paradise and it's called paradise. They can see each other. So they're in the same place, but there is this huge gulf that is between them. Okay, look at verse 24. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us." There is no escaping those two places apart from a miracle. But the rich man asks for a miracle because he knows God can do it. He knows his Old Testament stories, right? So he knows God can do it. So he asks for a miracle, verse 27. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets let them hear them and he said no father abraham but if one goes to them from the dead they will repent but he said to him if they do not hear moses and the prophets neither will they be persuaded though one rises from the dead what he is describing here is a miracle it would take a miracle for anybody to come up from the underworld when moses and elijah met with jesus in luke chapter 9 on the mount of transfiguration it was treated as an amazing miracle when Samuel came up from the dead, it was a miracle. And God is not going to honor this enemy, this, this uh, medium. She had no power. She's an enemy of God. She had no power to help people escape. Ezekiel 26, 20 through 21 makes it clear. Once you're there, even when people seek your soul, they can never find you. Jonah 2, 6 says that once the gates of Sheol close behind you, you are stuck. Even for believers in the Old Testament, Ephesians 4 makes it clear that they were in captivity. Okay? They were held there until after the resurrection of Christ. It was paradise, but they were still on captivity. Second Peter indicates you're stuck there till Judgment Day, at least in the lower Hades. And I bring all of that up so that you can have ammo to use against those who claim that um, you, know, you can uh, communicate with the dead. You cannot. You cannot, and it's uh, inappropriate to even try. They're deceivers who are simply using, using demons. Now, we've covered a lot of material, and I want to make sure you guys really grasp this. So what I'm going to do in conclusion, I'm going to try to summarize in five points the main things that we've learned so far. First, we've learned that mediums have no power to bring up the dead. In fact, uh, R- Revelation 9 says even demons cannot escape from hades that's one of the reasons by the way why these demons begged jesus not to send them into the pit because they could never escape from there please send us into these pigs this is one of the reasons why uh, when people who cast out demons uh, nowadays when they do it if they cast demons into the pit you have unbelievable resistance it takes so much longer to do so but You compare Zechariah and you compare Revelation and you will see that over time all demons are going to be cleansed from the earth and eventually Satan himself will be in the pit and there is no escaping from there and they know that. Okay, so um, that's the first point. But the corollary to that point is that this means that all mediums are either fakes who pretend to be talking to live beings or... They really are talking with the demonic. And either way, you don't want to fool around with them. When you do, you expose yourself to the demonic. And if you've ever meddled with any aspect of the demonic, I would just urge you, strongly urge you, to verbally, out loud, renounce those things and all of the works of darkness. Put it under the blood of Christ and ask God to remove that legal ground from your life. And I've got documents that can help you to do that. The third lesson that I see is that even believers can be demonized and end up in blindness and bondage they can have a veil over their eyes they just don't see their sin they don't see the the rebellion and it can start slowly with rebellion that's not repented of with stubbornness that is not relinquished those two sins and there are other sins as well uh, sexual and other sins but those two sins open up your spirit for uh, demonic bondage to begin to start the fourth lesson that we've learned is that there is such a thing as religious demons who don't seem to have any problem working within the church through the history of this church i have sensed demons who are doing everything they can to divide this congregation and almost every pastor friend that i've talked to about this subject has said this is true in their churches as well demons try to neutralize the effectiveness of the church. So we as believers, we need to be aware this is what they do. We need to look at the symptoms. We need to resist uh, uh, the demonic, pray against it, and for sure don't be receiving the kind of speech uh, and uh, destructive suggestions that uh, from people who are moved by those demons. Now let me just give you one example of that. I talked with somebody uh, several years ago who was totally poisoned to another person in the congregation and when I started digging as to why in the world they would have such bad attitudes it turns out that they had had a dream about some horrible things that this person had done it was almost like nightmare and it had so poisoned this woman toward that individual they didn't want to have anything whatsoever to do with that person and it was not until they recognized the demonic in this And they confessed it and they prayed say Lord I recognize that this is demonic please forgive me for having even believed it and praying against the demonic spiritual warfare that all of a sudden all of these negative attitudes against this person were completely released and then she wondered why in the world would I have even taken this seriously it is so silly it was so crazy and yet for quite a period of time it had poisoned her to this individual and uh, There are many other clever ways that Satan can come into a church and divide and conquer. And the more we're aware of the strategies of such spirits and the more we're aware of their symptoms, the better able we will be to pray against them. You know, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul says in, I think it's 1 Corinthians, we are not ignorant of Satan's strategies. We're not ignorant, but I would say most evangelicals are. May it not be true of this congregation that we are not ignorant of the many nefarious ways in which Satan tries to undo our souls and the souls of our children and and, uh, undo the church. The last lesson is that Satan is always trying to get Christians to be more interested in other forms of revelation than the scripture. See, Saul wasn't interested in the Bible, but he was interestingly very interested in Prophecies and dreams and the urine. Now, that's not to say that God didn't guide His people through those means. He absolutely did. But the moment you start valuing even those true things more than you value the Bible, you've got the soul syndrome at work. The soul syndrome is, why I don't like the scripture. It's just too clear. <laughs> you know, it's too uncomfortable. Uh, it gets in my life uh, too much. And so I want to seek some other revelation. Uh, and, and this is exactly what uh, Saul uh, did over time um, and uh, I'll just kind of trace that for you here a little bit God had already infallibly with infallible inspired revelation revealed to Saul in, uh, exactly what Saul was supposed to do in chapters 13 and 15 well Saul didn't like that so immediately he seeks other revelation from God it's, it's so interesting And I'm sure that if in this chapter the Urim had been available for him to consult, well, of course, the Urim would have confirmed exactly what uh, what Samuel had told him, step down from the throne. And then what would Saul have done? He probably would have said, well, let me go to a prophet. And if the prophet had confirmed what Samuel had said, he's, well, uh, Lord, give me some dreams. And you can see where he's going. He doesn't like the message he got over here. So he said, Lord, please, isn't there any other message that you could give me? and he's going directly into the occult eventually. And there are a lot of charismatics out there who are deep into the occult. Not all charismatics, but there are a lot out there who are into the occult. And I'm saying that not because I don't believe that God can guide us. Of course God can guide us. He can give us all kinds of insights that are going on. But anytime, time so-called guidance takes us away from contrary to the scriptures it is not of god i had one person tell me that god had uh, revealed to him that uh, it was okay for him to get a divorce and as we were talking the clear implication in, in in his mind was that he talked this other woman into divorcing her husband and marrying him and i told him the scripture does not give you that permission God has clearly revealed in the Bible what you are doing is a sin. It's rebellion against him. And he, no, no, the, God has really given me guidance that I, I can follow through on this divorce. I had a, 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 another a person tell me, it was a charismatic, who said, I don't really feel like I need to read the Bible because God talks directly to me. That is demonic. Anything that leads you away from the Bible is by definition going to be demonic because the Spirit of God never does that. He never does that. And so I think it is so significant that Deuteronomy 18, which is a passage you really ought to connect with what we're talking about here, Deuteronomy 18 contrasts the teaching of Scripture that the Levites do in verses 1 through 8. That's the primary ministry of the church. He contrasts that ministry of the Levites, which is Scripture-based, with every form of the occult in verses 9 through 14 and then he moves straight on into false prophecy in the last verses of that chapter and so it's always a temptation my urging to you is that you be anchored in the bible that you meditate upon the bible day and night memorize it so that you can meditate on it day and night ask god's spirit to make it transform your soul, transform your mind. Help Him, ask Him to make you able to bring those Scriptures to mind so that you can use the Word as the sword of the Spirit. We must be Scripture-founded and Scripture-saturated. Second Peter tells us that the Bible gives us everything that pertains to life and godliness. This was one of the differences between David and Saul. Saul picked and chose what scriptures that he would follow. Whereas the Psalms indicate that David loves the whole of God's law, and that same Psalm said that's why he hated every evil way, every evil way. If instead of seeking for new non-scriptural knowledge, you can make this scripture your prayer, you're going to be on safe ground. Here's the scripture. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. You pray that prayer, you're, you're in good company. This was David's passion. And the Psalms that he wrote during this period, wonderful spiritual warfare Psalms, they give you an anchor that keeps you from getting sucked into the occult. And so brothers and sisters, avoid the occult, plead the blood of Christ, stand in the cross of Christ, stick to the Bible, and you have nothing to fear. First John, remind you again, First John tells you that uh, when we're born of God and we guard ourselves, the wicked one cannot, cannot touch us. Amen. Father, we thank you that in Christ we are safe as safe can be. And I pray that you would help these people, every one of them, to run into the safety of your arms and to cover themselves with the, the safety of Your grace to sprinkle themselves with the safety of the blood of Christ and to ground themselves in the safety of Your Word. I pray that if the occult has touched any heart in this congregation, that they would indeed have the courage to renounce it and to stand in the liberty by which Christ has set us free. And I pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.